Hello, little killers, killers, killers. Welcome to our season three wrap-up episode. I am your host, Christy LaPointe. Today on the podcast, we have our amazing Facebook moderators joining us. The wonderful Courtney and Kelly are going to come on separately and help with some Eve mail and talk a little bit about their thoughts on the season as a whole. Very excited to have them. They literally keep our Facebook community thriving and safe, and I could not be more grateful to them for that. Before we get started, I just have a little bit of housekeeping to take care of. First of all, later this week, depending on when you're listening to this, it might already be up. We are going to do a feed drop for a new podcast. So you don't have to do anything in your Spilling Eve feed. If you are subscribed, you're going to see a preview episode for a podcast called Obsessed with Disappeared about ID's Joe Disappeared. And it is from the creator, one of the creators of the True Crime Obsessed podcast, which I'm a big fan of. We don't do a lot of ads on this show, very, very rarely, in fact. But this is a paid sponsorship I'm doing specifically with the intent of donating whatever money we make from it to Black Lives Matter Toronto. And I encourage you to download it. We get paid per download. Tell all of your friends to download this episode. It's also a great podcast. I think a lot of you will probably be into it, but I just wanted to give you a little bit of insight into why that's happening, seemingly out of the blue. After that, we may have a couple episodes sort of sporadically pop up in your feed over the in between time, between now and season four. We have a few things sort of vaguely in the works, but I don't want to make grand promises about minisodes like I did last summer and I was not able to follow through on. We do have some exciting leads though, and if you know anyone directly involved with Killing Eve or making Killing Eve or who's a TV critic with a hot take, please send them our way. You can always reach us at spillingeve at gmail.com because we do want to keep making, you know, really engaging, interesting content for you guys. All right. With all of that said, we're going to get into the show. I don't know how we're going to sign this off. So in case I can't say it later, thank you for everything this season. You've all been amazing. If you have enjoyed this season and if you want to do something, there are only two things I'm going to ask of you. Number one, rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts, please. It takes a few seconds. I know it's kind of annoying, but it makes a big difference for the show. Just a quick positive review or whatever, even just rating us five stars, like that is so, so, so wonderful. And number two, please get out there and use your voice to fight for Black people's rights right now. I don't care where you live. I know we have listeners all over the world. Donate money, send money to Black Lives Matter, protest safely in a socially distant way if that's something that you are able to do. Talk to your racist relatives. Do whatever you can. This is so vital. And I am really um, heartened by those of you who have reached out to tell me that you have donated since our last episode. But I would love to see a lot more. And I know we, as Killing Eve fans, are very good at the internet. So please, please use that skill. Take an afternoon off of villain eve shipping i know it sounds wild but get get important information out there and don't just repost you know a a nice tweet or a meme or something that you know makes you tear up but think about ways you can actively work to be anti-racist in your own life um thank you thank you all for for a great season and for being a fandom and a listenership that i can be really proud of and always 
always remember, do not kill anyone. All right. So, Courtney, welcome to the podcast. Oh, my God. Thank you. And let's start by, why don't you just introduce yourself? So you are one of our moderators on our Facebook group. That is correct. But you are also a filmmaker. Why don't you introduce yourself to the podcast community if they don't already know you from the Facebook group? Yeah. um, My name is Courtney. Um, I got my start in film uh, quite a few years back. Um, I was actually a combat photographer, videographer in the military, the U.S. military, for six and a half years. Um, and then once I got out, I worked as a professional photographer for a while and now just currently just focusing on writing and making movies pretty much. Um, and then I'm also quite involved in the improv scene here in, in, Ooh, should I say I live in Nevada? (laughs) (laughs) I like that. It's a secret. Ooh. I feel like Nevada is like big enough that no one's going to show up at your house and be all weird. Well, actually, Hopefully, please don't do that. You know, you would think that, but there's like only two real cities in Nevada. And um, in the city I live in, everyone knows each other. So, Ooh. Yeah. yeah, that kind of small town energy. I always think like I could never handle that. But I basically live in a small town neighborhood in Toronto. Like I'm in a big world city, yeah. but I see the same people constantly exactly. and I can't go to like a corner store without running into someone. Right. Especially when you're embedded into like a, you know, the film scene or something. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. The West End of Toronto is just like hipsters, all the film people, all the comedy people. They Can't all wait. live in like this small, not all, but a lot live sure. in this small radius of blocks. Um, okay, awesome. So let's talk a little bit about Killing Eve. How yeah. did you come to watch the show? What drew you to it? Yeah, actually, one of my best friends, um, I was actually in the middle of writing a uh treatment for a tv show about female spies and um my roommate was like oh my god you there's this new show you should watch it it's right up your alley um it's all about the stuff that you write about all the time and um I was like okay I mean I guess and then I watched the first episode and then I watched it again and then I watched it probably five more times um and then just was just like super obsessed with the show it was just so clever um as somebody who loves murder in general um when it comes to tv shows uh, it was just so refreshing to see this like badass female who was herself who still had fun but also like had a really cool job i guess Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i mean i think that's a very common experience where people watch the pilot not really knowing what to expect or mm-hmm. having heard it's good and then are just so blown away yeah. and immediately hooked. Yeah. So let's talk. This is our season three sort of wrap up episode. Mm-hmm. Let's talk for a second about season three. We're going to jump into some emails uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about the characters season three brought up. But in general, do you have sort of like feelings? Do you have any top, top, tops from the season? Um. I have a lot of feelings. Um, it has been interesting watching the progression of each series, as they say. Um, and I was a little nervous about season three, to be honest, because season two was so different from season one. Just the tone, the direction that the characters went in, um, even just the storytelling in general. Um, so I was a little wary moving into season three. And I would say that 
season three did a really great job of sort of wrapping the first two seasons into each other. Um, staying true to finally coming back to, hey, let's talk about the 12 because they're sort of important. <laughs> oh, yeah, those guys. Yeah. Um, and as we moved through the season, uh, it, it was sort of like I didn't know how to feel about it. Um, and then I had this sort of aha moment uh, because season three, as you talked about in all of your podcasts, they it, it's just sort of like, oh, we're going to open with like a new weird thing. And then all of the, we're not going to talk about towns anymore. We're going to say this is Nico. <laughs> um, and then there was a moment when Helena looked at Villanelle and was like, you know what I love? I love chaos. And I felt like season three was just sort of that chaos for us as viewers to sort of experience like, by the way, this show is chaos. And I love so, that. That's such yeah. a beautiful like distillation of the season. Mm. You're you're kind of exactly right. Yeah. Oh. Um, yeah. I, I would say my top moment in the entire season was the baby. Just <laughs> it was just so perfect and right and beautiful and just but also like nonsensical. And I just felt like if if I could wrap up the entire series of Killing Eve, it would just be that one uh, garbage baby moment for me. It was like so. a little Pixar short inside of an yes. episode of Killing Eve. Yes. Yeah. I mean, this season in general, it was nuts. It was kind of all over the place. I think chaotic is the perfect way to describe it. And as a viewer, I really felt that where there were episodes where I walked away going, this was incredible. It was like the first season to me. It was so compelling and engaging and surprising. And then there were other almost full episodes that I felt like were slow or I didn't really get their purpose mm. or I felt like they were just diverting from the plot so much or giving us little threads that I don't think will ever be picked up on. Yeah. So with all that in mind, let's hop into some Eve mail. Let's do we? it. I love hopping. Oh, hop, hop, hop. So... The first one is from Tana, I think is probably how you pronounce their name. Uh, and it reads, Dear Christy, absolutely love your podcast, and I haven't missed one since the beginning. In fact, loving your coronavirus version so much that once a week when my four kids see my headphones are in, it means that just for one hour, I am no longer their personal chef, cleaner, teacher, and fight referee. My email doesn't... Res late to a specific episode but has no one else questioned the constantine geraldine relationship closer i.e constantine and geraldine coincidence question mark was the choice of her daughter's name uh carolyn's way of admitting the relationship i am convinced that they are father and daughter in episode six constant of season three constantine questions carolyn whether he's kenny's father so why not geraldine Constantine seems quite sure that he has fathered one of Carolyn's children. Also, why in episode three is Carolyn so adamant that she find out exactly what happened between Constantine and Geraldine? Please tell me you have an answer for me. Hope you are all keeping well and healthy. Tana, North London, quite near to Pinner. Oh. I loved this email so much. Wow. Let's what you, dive what into an area I've never thought about. Um, yeah. Hmm. I think that there has been quite a bit, at least online, speculation about uh, the relationship 
And this season has been a weird one for Papa K in general. Uh, but I, I think it's very, very possible that he's Geraldine's father. I, I just, I don't know why they sort of like dangled that in front of us if we're not going to get follow through at some point. Yeah. And one of the notes that I wrote about the season was I really felt like almost season three was sort of about Papa K and Carolyn almost. Yeah. It almost felt more centered around them than even Villanelle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I think it would be really weird that if Papa K assumed that he was maybe her father, um, and he he's like all into the to like the secret of it to even consider trying to hit on his daughter um ugh. yeah it's it definitely gets into some weird territory and we also just don't know like the cr- chronological order of what year he met Carolyn and when their whole tryst was. So maybe that happened after Geraldine was born. We just like, we have no way as viewers of knowing that kind of background information. Right. Well, and I think um, she makes a good point though about Carolyn's like actual, like actual involvement in her daughter's life is only in regards to her relationship with Constantine. Um, mm. How she doesn't care about any other aspect of Geraldine's life except for this one piece. And I guess I assumed it was just that Carolyn knows that Papa K is like involved in this much larger picture. And so she doesn't actually want him in any part of her life. Um, but uh, I, yeah, let's speculate that. Let's just assume that maybe that's curious let us know Mm. listeners what you think maybe we'll do a poll in the facebook group i will write Uh, that down yes okay that uh leads us into another geraldine themed email this one is from laura and it reads hello my daughter introduced me to your podcast and i've really enjoyed it i think this season has been incredible and very unique One of the questions I was left thinking about after the finale was Geraldine. I thought the actress did an amazing job, but honestly, what was the purpose of her character this season? I don't really see what she added to the story, and frankly, I found her a bit annoying sometimes. It just felt like her and Carolyn had the same arguments over and over, but nothing really changed. I have to say, when Carolyn kicked her out during this episode, I was thinking, finally! Other than her weird fling with Constantine, where he was only using her to spy on Carolyn, do you think Geraldine was really necessary this season? And do you think she'll be back in season four? Or was this the last we'll see of her? Thanks, Laura. Mm. Again, Laura, you are not alone in this. A lot of people. There was a lot of Geraldine hate. And not just Geraldine hate, but hate for how much screen time her and this mother-daughter relationship took up in this season. Yeah. Um, I... I thought about it for a little while, and I and I just assumed that, oh, Gemma Whelan, she's amazing. We need to just put her in Killing Eve. All right, let's give her this weird character. Um, and a little bit, I was sort of like, okay, you're really boring, and I kind of dislike you. Please go away. Um, but I found that in this season, there were a lot of parallelisms that were sort of working. Um, and I think that if I think if I look back and, and see Carolyn's reaction to Kenny dying and then how she sort of is handling all of it, um, as much as Gemma is annoying, uh, she was really quite necessary in sort of opening a window into how Carolyn is dealing with Kenny's death 
that we wouldn't necessarily have seen without her. Um, and then also just to sort of see like when Carolyn talked about like Kenny was mine, you were your father's and we never really understood each other. Um, that was a really interesting aspect into Carolyn's life. Um, and like, yeah, just to repeat, like we wouldn't have seen how Carolyn dealt with this whole situation really had Gemma not been a part of that dialogue. I think that's a really good point because by having a character who is her daughter, that character, Geraldine, was able to ask things and say things to Carolyn that no other character on this show could or would. Exactly. Eve is the only person we've seen ever kind of challenge Carolyn, but even that has like a severe limit and Carolyn doesn't have to take it. Mm -hmm. Where from her own daughter, I think she's willing to entertain her a slightly longer and and more personal amount than she would from someone else. And I think I think that from a writing perspective, when they decided to kill off Kenny, there was sort of this gap open for someone close to Carolyn who could be that sort of inside man. But I I don't know that we needed as much attention to her for or me. Or even just make her that boring. <laughs> yeah. Or, I mean, to the other degree they could have heightened that mm -hmm. and made her like the most boring person on earth i'm thinking of the character in what we do in the shadows who's the energy vampire yes. <laughs> like that is so funny and i know that's like a hard comedy show and this is not but like you could maybe heighten the amount she's boring and drab because she just felt very sort of middle of the road plain yeah. normal person. and especially when you have someone like Gemma whelan who can do it Yes, and I mean, she is an incredible actor, and I love seeing her on screen. Yes. But I don't know that I needed to see that much of her. I also didn't feel like I got a lot from the her and Constantine storyline. I would have been perfectly happy for her to just be mm -hmm. in a few scenes with Carolyn at home, sort of highlighting how her Carolyn was like not dealing with her grief. Yes, I agree. That brings us to a quick special segment that we're going to call pointless or perfect Ooh. so what i'm going to do courtney is i'm going to rattle off some of the many new characters we were introduced to in season three yes. and you are going to tell me rapid fire if you think they are pointless or perfect oh my god I'm it's so okay if you don't think i know those are two extremes uh but just whatever the first answer is and then we'll go back and go through if there's anything you want to talk Great. further on i'm so excited because i kind of wrote my own list so this is amazing amazing yes. uh there were so many so many. i had to like cut some out for this because there were just i was like oh we can't do 50 names and that is also something we can talk about how many new characters <laughs> they decided to introduce in a short eight episode season yes. okay pointless or perfect dun 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 villanelle's wife perfect Dasha. Perfect. Mo. Who's Mo? Mo was Carolyn's assistant who got murdered. Uh, perfect. Okay. Bitter pill boss Jamie. Oh, so pointless. Ooh, bear. Oh, perfect. Trash baby. <laughs> Perfection. <laughs> Audrey. Who's Audrey? Audrey was Kenny's girlfriend at Bitter Pill. Pointless. Geraldine. As we discussed, perfect. MI6 boss Paul. Oh, perfect. Uh, the 12 boss Helene. 
Perfect. And our newest assassin, Rianne. I'm going to go with perfect and then maybe explain why later. Okay, great. That's it. Cool. Good job. Thank you. Uh, I You had a very intense reaction to the bitter pill boss being pointless. From the moment he opened his mouth, I was like, I don't like you. Yeah, it was so funny because I felt like the first half of the season, there was so much being set up. Like, I felt like they were setting up that character for this big reveal mm-hmm. or something huge to happen in the back end. And then he sort of just faded into the background a bit. Yeah, well, I think I, that was one of the things I wrote down as well is like Bitter Pill was supposed to be like Carolyn and Eve's like research center. And this is where we're going to change the world out of here. But then we almost never saw them. I'm pretty sure we saw them less than we saw Geraldine. Um, mm-hmm. And and I think it would have been a little bit better had Eve just sort of snatched up Bear and made Bear sort of her new Kenny and then just sort of left everybody else in the dust. But my thing is, is that I have this thing where if you're going to wear glasses, look through your glasses. <laughs> Don't wear them on your nose and look over them with your chin down and then try to be like intimidating I don't need that from you and he just kept doing that the whole time and I was like I can't watch you please go away he, he, he served uh, nothing that is hilarious but you did like Bear so oh. you thought he was worth having around I thought he was great I think this season was a little darker than than the other two and Bear sort of gave this lightness to it that was just sort of a breath of fresh air um and just sort of his character was just sort of like off on another lane and uh so i I really enjoyed the scenes that he was in and i think he could have gotten more screen uh screen time i think interesting interesting Mm. he's one of those characters that i really could have gone either way on Mm. but again felt sort of confused about because i was just like who is in who's important in this season and audrey the girlfriend character she and it's possible they shot more with her and she got cut down in editing but if that's not the case i was just like you can't throw this randomly in never show her with kenny never show us them together never give us any reason like they didn't do any kind of save the cat work with her at all like I don't know who she is what she likes why I'm supposed to care about her I knew nothing about her and she just felt like literally this plot device just plopped in yeah Um, which is too bad if you're gonna give us like a cool woman of color give her a real character yes but but I think you know you made a good point like we introduced 50 new people it's too many to try and develop everyone then everyone just gets five percent of screen time and then exactly it waters it down why are you there and then also they showed a lot less eve this season which people were very upset about rightly so so it's i mean look writing tv is the hardest thing so i know it's not easy but that's a a really delicate balance Mm -hmm. that is going to affect your show and that the audience is really going to pick up on yeah were there any other uh big character notes you had um no Oh, Villanelle's um, wife. You thought she was oh, perfect. I I really liked the introduction of her um, because if, if you're going to move on, the best way to move on is to get married. And <laughs> and I know there was a lot of discussion at the beginning about like, what's the point? Why did she marry a girl? Like, blah, blah, blah. But I mean, she 
basically disappeared, left the 12, and starting anew with nothing. And the best way to to start and continue living your best life is to marry wealthy. Um, and then here's this woman who's like, oh my God, whatever. But like whether she ever shows up again or whether you think she's pointless, it, it doesn't really matter. What matters is we showed Villanelle moving on to the extreme aspect of what moving on means and also that she was still sort of manipulate manipulative in the relationship um and the 12 can do whatever they want they probably just annulled the marriage and were just like (laughs) there wasn't even a real officiant at the wedding it was just like an undercover 12 person uh okay we have a really quick short one from diane diane says i have noticed that villanelle appears to be right-handed but then i see her shooting a gun lefty what's up with that ambi question mark Diane, these are the kinds of things you, like the super fans notice that yes. I, watching intently, would never notice in a bajillion years. <laughs> uh, but I think, yeah, I, I find it very easy to imagine that Villanelle, if she wasn't naturally ambidextrous, was trained to be ambidextrous. Absolutely. Ambi, yes. Um, <laughs> I mean, as a kid who grew up pretty isolated, um, I would just practice writing with my left hand and doing things with my left hand just to not be bored Um, look if you can be ambidextrous it is such a skill i have been dealing with wrist issues and mm. issues with my right hand and arm which is my dominant hand for like the last two and a half three years and it has been such a scourge on my life and if i could just be ambidextrous like i've had to sort of fake it for the last couple years but i'm very bad at it and if i had just had that skill it would have made my life a bajillion times easier yeah and and i think you have to also consider what happens if someone comes up and grabs the wrong arm and then you have to kill them with your other arm like you always have to be prepared v is always prepared i feel like she's always prepared yeah all right the next one is from josh and it reads oh wait no it's not from josh it's from larissa (laughs) Uh, i got ahead of myself and it reads hey christy not sure if you're gonna have email eve mails for the bonus episode yes we are but i got so overwhelmed by the finale that i forgot to send one before then I think the finale was a very important uh, episode to show Villanelle and Eve's growth, specifically when it comes to the feelings they have for each other. The director of the episode, Damon Thomas, said in a recent interview, quote, Eve just asks Villanelle to help her make it stop because she can't stop herself from wanting to be with Villanelle, end quote. And I think what he said is so important if you want to analyze And I think what he said is so important if you want to analyze that last scene with more depth, specifically the moment when Villanelle decides to let Eve go. She gives Eve the decision to free herself from the feelings she has for her forever. But while she walks away from Eve, you can see there's so much hurt on her face. I think she was going to turn around no matter what, but she feared that Eve might not turn around. So she stops first, but you can see her hesitation. I think she believed Eve would be just one more person in her life to reject her in the end, though for her, surprise, Eve had turned around. This is a moment that needed to happen, a moment of honesty, acceptance, and the opportunity for both of them to choose what they really, truly wanted, and in the end, they chose each other. Quote, it's all about choices. After the end of season two, I thought that they could never find a way to make Villanelle and Eve being together a possibility, but I think this season changes it all. And I honestly can't picture their journey next season being apart. Larissa. So well said. 
So well said, Larissa. And I hadn't read that quote from Damon Thomas. So thank you for sharing that. Uh, yeah, I mean, next season, we have a lot of emails about people's sort of predictions. Thank you to everyone who sent stuff in, too. We had like an overwhelming amount. And I'm going to share a ton on this recap episode, but we're not going to be able to do everything. Um, but I know these writers are skilled and if they find a way for them to be together or to be apart, they're going to make sure whatever happens in the fourth season is full of conflict. So it's not going to be sunny, happy days for sure. Um, but yeah, I think that this, you're totally right. This ending versus the season two finale left us in really, really different places. Yeah. Um, I, I loved the ending. Uh, Again, like, I was a little skeptical about this season, but it ended so beautifully. Um, I, their conversation between one another just showed the maturity and the respect that they had for one another. The willingness to just say what they feel, say um, how the other person uh, sort of affects them. And then I, I wrote down, actually, that I think... Villanelle has realized her deep love for Eve to the point where she's willing to let her go in order to save her um, because she recognizes that the reason that Eve is the way that she is is because of Villanelle and and it was sort of on purpose. I think Villanelle tried to instigate this for a long time and she's I think through the journey of this season Villanelle's re recognizing that like this isn't the life that I want. That's how the season one ended was just like I just want a nice flat but that has ha has grown into an actual deep core desire of Villanelle um and I think she's beginning to recognize that as truth um and I just like uh she said in her email like it's all about choices neither one of them forced the other one to stay and they each allowed each other to make the decision to come back to one another yeah and I think it's like I mean there are there totally their connection and their relationship has always been very dysfunctional and unhealthy and this is sort of the first time we are seeing them both not trying to manipulate the other not having huge ulterior motives that we can see but really trying to be vulnerable and and present with the other one and it was so lovely and like what a tender way to end this season and oddly healthy yeah, like the healthiest they've been. Yeah. I think these two went to therapy sometime. And we just didn't see it in this <laughs> season. All right. The next email, this one was a huge one and we've had to pare it down a little bit, but I really appreciate it. Mika had so many thoughts. It reads, good morning and happy Monday. Hope you're staying safe and well during these times. Mika here from California. I'm a huge fan of the Spilling Eve podcast, and I'm normally not one to ever do this, but when I saw the final mail call Eve mail over to, whoop, but when I saw the final mail call tweet for the season finale, I knew I just had to send thoughts over. I, with the rest of the Killing Eve fandom, could not handle the happenings in the finale. God bless Twitter and everyone else like myself who had to live tweet it in real time. I've watched the finale three times now, and I can't get enough. I mean, how the hell did Carolyn know about V working for Helene? I hope they explore Carolyn and Helene's relationship more in season four. Paul also mentioned Helene in Treasury, and I think that's an important part of the Paul House scene to flag. 
it's here that we learn that Helene is just as high up the food chain of the 12 and she works in government question mark which makes us the audience continue to question how far up does the 12 go and then she had some questions for season four so we're gonna answer two of them the first one is is this to be the end for the bitter pill team just like we saw hugo and jess i could do without them next season i didn't feel like they were fully integral parts to the killing eve story and then the second question is did constantine end up leaving for cuba with Irina? Could he ever truly escape the 12? Will he be pinned for Paul's suicides? Suicide. Regards, Mika. Great questions. Great questions. I think that, yes. I think this is probably the end of Bitter Pill. I think there's a chance we will see some of those characters, likely only the boss, uh, Jamie, or maybe Bear, pop up in like an episode in subsequent seasons. But I can't see them going back to that office set. Like, it feels like we've sort of played out the point of that, especially because our main point of connection to Bitter Pill was Kenny. And they've also showed how sort of unstable that environment is. It's getting raided by the cops and, you know, an assassin can just show up at any time and someone's been thrown off the roof there. So I kind of feel like it's the end. What do you think, Courtney? I, I also think it's the end. Um, Eve's gone. She doesn't really, isn't really wanting answers anymore. Um, you know, she got a girl. And then Carolyn, I think, is at a point now where she's recognizing, you know, she said to Geraldine, like, everything's coming to a head. And I think that's what season four is going to be. I think there's going to be a lot of explosions. I think there's going to be a lot of uh, mm, tension, a lot more tension with the actual 12 and, and what's going on there. Um, which I also found interesting because Carolyn also said, like, maybe we should give up on the 12. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so Carolyn, I think, has her own little thing going on. Uh, and it's interesting to me. It I'm at a point. Carolyn's always been a favorite of mine. I'm at a point where I don't really know whether to trust what Carolyn's saying anymore. Because there's a oh, lot yeah. I mean, of contradictions from, in her speech. Totally. From the first season, they written her in a way that if Carolyn is the head of the 12, I don't think any fan would be that surprised. Mm. But, I mean, we're very far away from any kind of revelation that extreme. I just feel like they've sort of left the mystery around her and the lack of trust that we as an audience, let alone all the people surrounding her, can really have in her motivations and her loyalties. Yeah, and if she does work for the 12, and Paul works for the 12, it, it makes me think about, like, do they keep people unbeknownst to one another that much to where you never yeah, really know and we, who you're working with? and we don't with. know the hierarchy mm-hmm. of... It seems very secretive. Like, people keep popping up and it's something that Maddie said in the last episode for the finale episode that we season two it was like we barely heard anything about the 12 it basically seemed forgotten and then season three every episode they're like here's five more characters related to the 12 no big deal so (laughs) it's gonna be really interesting to see what the season four showrunner decides in terms of what they're revealing do you think that the fourth season will be the last um, I'm gonna go on a limb here and say, I hope so. I, I become very attached to my movie f- and TV family. Um, but I also madly respect 
the writing and storytelling um and i feel like this is the perfect way to end killing eve uh yeah so i do think it's going to be the the last i think just from like a production standpoint everyone that is, that's involved is doing more projects and more work and it might become more and more difficult to to land the people that yeah. are in the show i think you're right and i also think that i mean maybe without covid things would be slightly different but it's going to be so long before they can get back into production anyway so a fifth season you're looking at like two or three years from now which feels like a long time for all of the creatives to yeah stay involved Uh, but yes i also i hope that they can wrap this up in one like glorious fourth season we shall see. Did Papa K leave for Cuba and will he be able to get away from the 12? I was yeah. thinking the same thing. Like the 12 are everywhere. They have got to be in Cuba. Come on now. Oh, yeah. Like there's not some 12 lurker just hanging out on a beach in yeah. Cuba already. But it also makes me think about like how desperate Papa K is to get away from the 12 and save his daughter, etc. That he's willing to just at least try. Yeah, I I don't know why, but I really picture a scene with Constantine on a beach with like a mojito sitting next to Irina who's like bored and annoyed in the fourth season, but I don't see that lasting long. I could very easily see them being like, yep, he got there, but surprise, surprise, it's not like a paradise yeah, escape slash for him. The 12 are here to recruit your daughter. <laughs> yeah. Um, will he be pinned for Paul's suicide? I feel like the 12 are going to know it's Carolyn. I feel like Carolyn would tell them to their faces if they have faces. Who knows? Uh, but no, I think his greatest crime in their mind, because we've seen that they don't really value human life very much, is that he stole a shit ton of money from them. Yes. I feel like that's that's the greater yeah. grievance. Mm. All right. Now we're going to read our final Eve mail. It reads... Hi, Christy. My name is Josh, and I'm from Liverpool, England, birthplace of Jodie Comer. Hey-o. But you already knew that. I really enjoy your podcast, and I'm so bummed to only have stumbled across it at the beginning of this season. But I've been listening before bed, and it's great listening to your insights on the show. Overall, I think the last episode was a great watch. The camera work and settings were fantastic, especially the scene with Villanelle and Carolyn at the beginning and the ending scene on the bridge. I think maybe the show could have done with one more episode to iron out all the little details and go a little further in depth surrounding the plots and subplots, especially involving Kenny's death and Constantine's involvement, even though it was partially explained. But do we believe Constantine? I was hoping for a villanelle walk off into the sunset at the end, and we almost got that. Can't wait for season four. Keep going with the podcast. It's amazing. And can't wait to keep listening through further seasons. Take care. And then he said, did you read all of this email in a Scouse accent from Josh? Uh, I wish my Liverpoolian is not that good yet. Although when I read this email, I immediately went to YouTube and watched like three videos, tutorials about how to do a Scouse Liverpool accent. And I had a lot of fun saying things like bed. Um <laughs> That's bird, in case you Americans couldn't tell. Uh, Thank thanks, you. Josh. This is a great email. And I I think Constantine's explanation of Kenny's death is something that has left 
a lot to be desired. Some people sort of took it at face value that he is just lying and he murdered Kenny. Um, But I would hope that there's a little more nuance there. I don't know. I I don't know if I have more to say on that because everything's just sort of uh, conjecture at this point. It's just guessing. But uh, I think it's very clear he was responsible for Kenny's death. I, because I love Constantine, would hope he didn't push Kenny off the roof. But I think unless, I kind of think they're not going to give us any more on that ever. Like, there's not going to be like, oh, and also there was a secret camera on the roof no one knew about. Like, they can't do that. So I kind of think it's up to you to determine how little or how much you believe Constantine's pretty fake sounding story. Yeah, because the first thing I thought about is like, we've been on the roof. We've watched Eve throw a cake over. There's quite a wall there. Yeah. It's not a flat top roof where you can accidentally fall over. Um, but also who's to say that somebody else wasn't up there waiting? Oh yeah. And, and I did, I liked what Villanelle said where she was like, he doesn't kill people. He gets people to kill for him Mm -hmm. because that's absolutely right. Like we, A, we haven't seen him murdering people that I can think of and B, he's not an assassin. He's like a handler. Right. So he could have just simply been the bait to get Kenny up to the roof for somebody else to be up there. And then it kind of makes me wonder that, like, if that is the case, Papa K didn't want to be implicit in the death of Kenny, which is why he would have lied about him maybe falling off of the falling off of the roof instead of, yeah, I brought him up there to, you know, have yeah, somebody else. Yeah, because it does him. seem like if he was not guilty at all, he would have told Carolyn something. Right. Yeah. I could be wrong in that, but that's sort of my my reading on it yeah but All josh's right, comment about for this. one more episode sorry about one more episode to iron out it kind of goes back to our like if they had just removed all those sort of weird pieces we would have probably gotten more out of the season yeah so. i mean if they had cut two or three of the extra characters i mean when i brought up mo who was carolyn's assistant in the season you didn't even remember who that was yeah and it's not your fault like that name is not that memorable and he was just again sort of a service character mm-hmm. but he got a fair amount of screen time and we saw his not his death on camera but we saw him being stalked and then dead right like did we need that and again i know that they are trying to show how it affects Carolyn. Right. But because there were so many things like that, I totally agree that I could use a full episode that's just like, here is us tying up 35 loose ends. Yeah. And Nico got way too much screen time. <sighs> I, I, I think that could have been wrapped up in a very quick half episode. And then would have been fine. Yeah. For him to essentially get a whole episode plus a lot off the top of him being mad at Eve and then all the stuff afterwards of surprise, he's not actually dead, and mm-hmm. but he's still mad at Eve and there's still no, it was like, I don't kill him or don't, but like, and I get the one-two punch of him almost dying and then still rejecting her even though he's alive, but that that was a lot of time. And again, that's a lot of eve quote-unquote screen time that's not really showing us her or her journey it's all about him which come on right all right that is the end of this batch of eve mail courtney 
thank you Christy. so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's uh it's about time that we got to Oh my hang gosh. Out. I know. Big time. Uh if people want to follow you and your career, where can they do that? Yeah. Um Instagram's the best place. Um I'm actually making a movie at the end of the summer, which is exciting. Um Court Court O A. So that is C O U R T C O U R T O A. I love it. And you've been doing some responsible socially distant short films. I have during this COVID that time. That have it- ironically been accepted to a few film festivals. And that's amazing. I'm going to be featured on TV actually as a local artist. Blah blah blah. Yeah. Yay! So. Where can people watch those? Um, if again, if you just follow Instagram, I'll be posting links and and doing all that kind of thing. There's a link on my Instagram that leads you to all my little shorts and stuff. Perfect. Yeah. All right. Any last thoughts? Um, well, in accordance to your other podcasts, um, I did write down a couple recs. Um, yes, yes, yes. So in light of the current um, climate that we have right now, I actually just finished watching If Beale Street Could Talk. Um, highly recommend. It's not only just a beautifully made cinematic film, um, but it definitely touches light into a lot of issues that as a white woman I'm not aware of have never been aware of um, and it does a really amazing job at sort of telling this story of injustice so highly recommend that for sure and then um, you might know um, so there in Toronto Toronto is amazing Toronto there's a brand new tv show called Band Ladies that you can watch on highball tv and I just watched it my friend is one of the creators and um, highly recommend if you want to see badass women of all shapes, sizes, colors, attitudes, personalities, just going out and rocking and speaking their truth. Definitely go watch Band Ladies, support them, follow them on all the social medias. Okay. Uh, I feel like a failure already. <laughs> Kelly, welcome to the show. Yay, thank you uh, for having so me. This is awesome. to have you. Would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners on the off chance they don't already know you from the Facebook group? Well, they, they, pro- they probably uh, know me from harassment of them. All right, so my name is Kelly. I live in the southeastern U.S. Um, and I got uh, asked by Christy to help moderate the Facebook group after stalking her spilling eve podcast for quite some time and i've had a lot of fun doing it and um yeah and we are met so, some we really are cool so, folks and learned a lot of so stuff, lucky so. to have you i love it i love how uh succinct that was um so <laughs> kelly how did you start watching killing eve in the first place um i i think a friend of mine had actually recommended it to me because she was an orphan black fan mm. and there was some deal where it like rolled into one of the shows or something and I, one of your guests talked about that recently but um i think apple tv kept recommending it to me and so i was like yeah fine um i tend to kind of like the sort of spy genre uh so this was sort of appealing to me um on both of those levels um, of course, I had no idea what it was going to be really like, you know, I mean, it was absolutely not like just your normal, and I kind of watched some BBC stuff like Father Brown or Vera or, you know, Broadchurch, I absolutely adore, but this is nothing like any of that other stuff, so um, that kind of just fell into it and loved it. 
Amazing. And what have your general thoughts been on this season? Season three, it's been very divisive. People have loved it. People have hated it and decried the show. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I think they did that in season two, too. You know what I mean? All of a sudden, now everybody's looking back with this grim sense of nostalgia about season two is so fantastic. And it's kind of like, <laughs> y'all didn't like it then either. But season three, I actually enjoyed because it sort of came back to a normal uh, spy thriller story kind of thing. I mean, season two, I loved it. I liked all, you know, Villanelle and Eve, and you can't not like them, but I just wasn't all hepped up about some sort of weapon that's some dude's computer system that he developed in his, you know, rich father's basement or whatever it is. I, you know, I, to, so to me, I like season three's storyline a little bit better. That brings us to our first little mini segment that we're doing for this episode, which is Pointless or Perfect. So talking about the third season and all of the changes it brought, it brought us so many new characters. So for this little game, I'm going to rapid fire shoot you names of the new characters and you tell me just top of head, top of mind, if you thought they were pointless or if they were perfect. And then we'll go back through and if there are any you want to sort of expand on, we can we can discuss. You ready? Pointless or perfect? Villanelle's wife. Perfect for what they wanted to do with that. Okay, Dasha. Did I mention I'm a lawyer, so everything is going to be, you know. <laughs> I love it. So litigious. Dasha was perfect. I did not like her at the beginning, but damn, towards the end of the season, I really, really kind of just thought she was awesome and fun. Um, you know, just constantly chain smoking and having, all right, go ahead. <laughs> totally. Mo. Uh, pointless. Bear from Bitter Pill. Perfect. <laughs> the, the Bitter perfect. Pill boss, Jamie. You know, I would say perfect. Audrey. Pointless. The trash baby. Effing perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Geraldine. Perfect. I like that inflection. Uh, MI6 boss Paul. Pointless. Helen. A pain in the ass. (laughs) Rianne. Um, Pointless. All right, that's it. That's that that was our list. Yeah. I mean, th- there were a lot of new characters introduced. There there were a ton of new characters and and I I know that some of them just had like a little there was a point for them, but they weren't supposed to be recurring. Like the wife. I mean, they wanted to start the season off with a boom, a kind of um get everybody's attention and then she was no longer needed. I mean, superfluous. Bye-bye. Um a little bit with Rian as well. I mean, at the end, I didn't, and we saw some of this on the on the group. Um, I didn't really catch why they wanted Villanelle to kill her, other than they just needed us to have a kill in that in that particular scene or something. Yeah, it felt like if they wanted it to be a big kill, they should have maybe introduced her way earlier and then built that up or had her like it. It didn't feel momentous in any yep. way. Although V's outfit was fantastic in that scene and her like kickboxing her in front of the train was kind of fun, but yeah. Agreed. Visually uh, excellent yep. from a character perspective, maybe not the biggest hit. Uh, okay. So in terms, you've been moderating our Facebook group since its inception, uh, which thank you. I'm so, so grateful for. I've had fun. Um, 
because when we started it, it started out with like a couple hundred people. And now the group is at what, over 2,500 or something? Yeah, we're about to hit, um, we're right at 2,500, I think. I, I was looking earlier today. You, you know, I, I think um, the whole point of the group is, my way of thinking was sort of an extension of your podcast and maybe a way to, to have folks give some good discussion. You know, we all think Jody is beautiful and we all think Sandra is beautiful and, and, and the photos and the pictures and all that, and I'm okay with that, you know? So I want people to have a good time on the on the Facebook group. Um, I do really like the way folks have been this season particularly coming out and giving some good in-depth discussion. Some folks have done research outside of, you know, anything and come back in there and shared with us the things that they found. So it's, it's kind of a really neat forum. I, I don't know. I, I, I guess I hope that, um, I have, have been, um, good at facilitating a friendly atmosphere. I think you've done an incredible job. Like I'm so happy and grateful that we can have the group but I knew like there was no way I was going to be able to get the podcast out and take care of it and manage it and also not uh have my feelings hurt in the process there's something about like it being a little too personal that I really appreciate you and Courtney being able to sort of be a bit of a buffer yeah Courtney's been awesome too um with that so you know I I am um... I, I think it's um, just a neat opportunity and hopefully, you know, gets the word out about your podcast or your podcast gets the word out about the Facebook group or some sort of, I don't know, crazy symbiotic relationship there. And also, let me toss out there, I love your new Eve mail intro. That's new for this season, I think. Oh, Thank you. I was glad someone requested it because it took no time. Obviously, it's not very <laughs> intricate very well, or well produced. Well crafted. What are you talking about? Uh, but I have for a long time thought like I should be splitting this stuff up, and I just don't have the time or money to like make music interludes. So when I got a very direct re- request from a listener, I thought, okay, I can take you know ten minutes and make this happen. Uh, all right. So our first email is from D White, and she says. Hi all, D here. Just wanted to say I love the fan group and the podcast. I don't know how I would get through the season without being able to talk about it after. Also, it's nice to know I'm not the only one who watches the episode over and over again. We are all obsessed. Thank you and see you all next season. D. D. Yay. Okay, so she's been with us since close to the very beginning of the group, I think. And um one thing that I love about her, she's just kind of so patient. She'll wait for me to post about the show, and then she'll jump in with her thoughts. And um, like during the off season, she's not really around much, and then she'll come back in and uh, and post while the show's on. But she's she's great. Um, and uh, you know, I, I have to agree uh, that 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 is what's keeping us going, right? Mm-hmm. Sort of. Um, Especially for a show that has so few episodes, like eight episodes in a season is not very much. So it's nice to mm-hmm. be able to, and I think it's part of the impetus for people to do those deep dives and the intense research that they're doing. Um, it's really fun to be able to come somewhere and have that discussion. Our next email, uh, it kind of speaks to this same final scene, and it's from our another Facebook group longtime friend, Gaynor. I wish she had sent in an audio so we could have heard her beautiful Scottish accent, uh, but that's fine. I won't do a bad one, I promise. So she, uh, we had touched on this a little bit in an earlier episode um, about the parallels this uh, moment at the end made uh, to 
the themes around Orpheus and Eurydice. Uh, but I'm going to read what Gaynor wrote because she she I think she explained it very eloquently. So Gaynor said, I came to one of the most poignant conclusions in my recent years of TV series viewing. This last episode is the romantic and painfully bittersweet proof that Killing Eve is one of the greatest love stories of all TV time. It's been so interesting that many people have drawn comparisons to the London Bridge scene with the tragic poetic themes of Orpheus and Eurydice. This has been a central theme to the recent film by Celine Sciamma, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, where the Greek tale is referenced and explored in order to give more depth to the character and theme of love they've grown to have for one another. To cut a long story short, Orpheus, having been told that he can rescue his beloved Eurydice from the underworld on the condition that he cannot look at her until they've escaped, turns to glance at her, thereby trapping her in Hades lost forever. We can interpret this as Marianne does in Portrait of a Lady on Fire, offering a different explanation of the character's actions. Eve a.k.a. Orpheus, makes the poet's choice, not the lover's. And this point, perhaps, and at this point, perhaps, we can understand that Villanelle, Eurydice, matters more to Eve as a memory than as a person. On saying that, Villanelle also turns around to look at Eve and kind of shatters that beautiful poetic moment. As Sally Woodward Gentle breaks it down, who is uh, one of the producers, the big production company behind Killing Eve, in her interview with Digital Spy, quote, she knows that Eve is going to be looking back at her. Is that point scoring or is that actually something much more fundamental than that? And that's quite an interesting way to look at it. It's just a little bit more introspective than before. But that's quite fun as well, not to do the same thing every time. From Gaynor. Wow. Gaynor is clearly smarter than I am. Um. <laughs> See, this is the level of like deep dive analysis on this show that makes me think I should be uh, getting a lot more academic and a lot less just, you know, fangirl squee. Uh, but that's why we have these wonderful uh, listeners and writers to, to help us with things like this. <laughs> to help us along our path, right? Um, yeah, you know that's. Um, it's always interesting to see the the theories, and then as they tie together with what the producers are actually saying, right? So, um, you know, Sally saying that is is um, ties in very nicely to Gaynor's thought. I have not watched Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Gaynor actually mentioned to me that I would want to um, to to sort of tie it in here, but you know. And to go back to the earlier email, the opportunity for Eve to step away completely. I mean, how satisfying to me was that ending, right? Um, just the whole mm -hmm. uh, juxtaposition from the end of season two, where, you know, you're mine, which you're mine actually is Gaynor's favorite line from season two, by the way, in case you didn't know that. So for her, so for her to, for, so for her to focus particularly on this, um, on this final scene here is not shocking to me, but I, I um, I, I wish I had more uh, erudite knowledge of that specific um, classical story. You know, I, I had hung up on this. There was all of the classical music in the in the teasers and the trailers, so I got really hung up on the opera that um, that Carolyn was listening to. Uh, for the first few shows, and I'm kind of like, ah, oh, in this particular opera, you know, the, the protagonist leaves, and then the woman pines away, and I was like, oh, no, God, it's going to be Carolyn, she's going to pine away, but nope, she plowed through, thanks to Geraldine's <laughs> prattle. 
Uh, yeah, I, I think it's just such a beautiful comparison. And I would love to know how much the writers had this in mind or if these are just similar themes uh, that this can kind of be applied to. I did get to see Portrait of a Lady on Fire earlier this year, and I would highly recommend it to everyone. It's a beautiful film. It's very sad. It's very romantic. The acting is incredible. Um, I don't know if it's streaming anywhere yet because obviously their theatrical release got messed up a bit, but I cannot recommend it enough. I think most fans of Killing Eve, especially the romance element of Killing Eve, will be very into this cool queer love story. All right, the next Eve mail had a great subject line, so I'm going to read that. It said, Eve mail, uh, 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 Eve mail, parentheses, hope this isn't too late for the overall season episode. (laughs) Hey, Christy, love this podcast so much and all of the amazing commentary. I'm not sure what I'll be doing with my brain space given that given that Killing Eve is over. But I'm glad to know there are others out there who care so much about this show who will probably be going through the same thing. For a while, I've been pondering Villanelle's actions across season three, especially given this season was centrally tied to the idea that, quote, it's all about choices. However, I can't wrap my head around her change of heart. To me, it appears that Villanelle has been blatantly rejected time and time again, her mother, Constantine, Eve, and that this season was no different. Papa K flat out tells her he does not want her to come with him and Irina. Her mother tells her that she does not want her in her home. Eve, up until the finale, has shown little affection or concern for her. Villanelle becomes soft, but why? I could understand Villanelle changing after she had been with Eve or after Eve had shown and declared her love. What do you think was her driving force? Was it the gruesomeness of murdering her own mother? Or perhaps one idea I had was the confrontation with Dasha in the elevator in episode seven, in which Dasha says that Villanelle will be alone forever. I'm not sure. Would love to hear your thoughts. Love, Kristen from New York. Awesome. Um, She also was rejected blatantly by Carolyn in the last episode, too. So there's that. I'll come work for you. No, you, you're worthless. Um, oh, that which was so heartbreaking, too, to see her sort of groveling to her enemy and still getting right. turned down. You, you know, um, somebody posted, I think, or mentioned to me that if you go back and actually look at uh, episode one of season one, she's already wanting to get out. I mean, she really is. And, it, and it, 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 this is just kind of a, a continuation along that storyline, I think. If you go back, there are so many things that are planted at the very, very beginning. Um, you know, nice job, cool flat. I mean, you know, I mean, she just kind of wants a, someone to watch movies with. So, I mean, she's already kind of leaning that way. And I think, personally, that season three, you were supposed to sort of get that she switched up, especially after she dispatched her mother um you know you're you and I are the same mom and I'm going to kill you and then I'm going to move on to being something different is kind of how I took that episode Mm -hmm. and and then that's sort of paralleled with Dasha as well Dasha could be you know shades of her future and she kills Dasha too or tries to so it's like she doesn't want to become either of those things i think that's exactly right you know and and so maybe dasha was brought in as a way you know sort of as a magic eight ball or whatever for for villanelle to see her future and be like you know what i'm not interested in you know being banned out of the country that i want to be in or i'm not interested in you know uh 
chain smoking cigs and wearing track suits and trying to raise up gymnasts while pretending to, you know, I, I, I think you're right on that. I think she sees her future self in Dosh and doesn't want it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Our next uh, Eve mail is from Gemma, also from the Facebook group. Gemma says, hello, friends. I just wanted to comment uh, that the end of Killing Eve season three was warm, elegant, very intelligent, very credible. Jodie Comer and Sandra Oh, uh, in so little essence, let us see only the expression of their faces, feelings, and growths. The scenes of Villanelle and Eve were incredibly credible and elegant. From the beginning, this show has demonstrated that within a monster, there is spiritual beauty. There is a rose that can flourish, and the attitudes of wanting to be better are possible for even the most despicable person. Friends, I still sign in my faith that redemption is possible. Maybe I'm dumb and naive, but in the show, little by little, my desire has been shown. I think that this show is going to stay in our hearts forever. Thanks, Gemma. Hey, Gemma. Gemma, this is so sweet. Right, right. She is all about some redemption for Villanelle, which, uh, <clears throat> you know, of course, the flip side of that is in a in a... And a good person, there's a monster, right? We see Eve going from basically a good person to, to, to the dark side. And then I guess maybe they both will be redeemed together. I knew it was what Jim <laughs> would want, you know. Um, and, and, and most of us, too. I mean, it's, 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 um, there's something compelling about both. Yeah, I like the idea um, that circumstances but, will really change anyone. You're not necessarily inherently evil or inherently good. I personally think that's kind of true. You know, everyone has their, has their sides. Um, I'm not planning to go out and kill anybody, though, so don't worry about that. Mostly because you tell us not to. <laughs> Thank goodness. I'm hoping that message gets gets through to people. All right. Our last Eve mail is from Kate, and Kate reads, writes, I'm reading. Oh, boy. I could have sworn in the scene where Carolyn almost shot Constantine that I heard them say Paul was the 12 as if it was only him. Based on what was said after he died, that doesn't seem to be the case. But I thought it would have been kind of cool if the 12 was this Wizard of Oz situation where there was just this one little guy behind it all. As it is, I'm afraid that after all this buildup, we'll be disappointed as to whatever the 12 really are. Anyway, thanks for everything, Kate in San Francisco. I didn't catch that part. I, I, don't, I don't know that I think that would be, for me, any better or any worse. And, and it's kind of like we're going to have this disappointing because we're built up about the 12 and blah, blah, blah. But it's just kind of a spy story. So if it turns out that they're just... It, it was like when they finally circled back around in season three and um, Eve said to Carolyn, what did you say to Villanelle in the prison? And Carolyn's like, I offered her a job. She didn't take it. And it was kind of like, everybody's like, really? That's going to come back up? I was like, nah, they just wanted to tie up that loose end because the, fan, the fandom was bitching about it so badly. They just wanted to... To give that little head nod, we're tying this up, and uh, you know, was that the most sexy of things to come back to? No. So you know, the twelve, it might not be this super sexy spy organization or whatever, but I mean, um, it just is made for a good story. Yeah, I mean, I I kind of love and, the uh, idea that there's a single monster behind all of this chaos and destruction. But for me, the only way I think that would be satisfying is if it was a character we already know and would never expect. Or, you know, surprise, it's Constantine. It's Carolyn. It's someone. It's Eve. Like, some kind of huge subversion that I don't think, yep. based on what I know about the books and based on where the show seems to be going, I can't imagine that being the case. Yeah, and I'm not sold that Carolyn it's not part of the 12 or the 12 if that's you know 
Totally. I think I would be more surprised if she is not involved with them in some way. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe it'll turn out to be, maybe, maybe, maybe her theory will be right and it'll be Nico. That would be a twist I would be here for. Nico the 12. Yeah, <laughs> not happening. You have long been an, a defender of Nico. How did you feel about his stabby stabbing this season? I gave up on Nico in the second season. He was just really, you know, I'm just kind of like, please go move in with that woman and enjoy your missionary and whatever. Um, because I just, he, he just started irritating me. Um, I like, I like the actor. Uh, don't get me wrong. I thought he did a fabulous job and that was quite a mustache, but I, I quit defending Nico when he started getting on my last nerve. All right. Fair. Is there anything else? Here's one thing that um, I think has gone unrecognized this season a little bit. And I understand people are kind of like, why is it so much Villanelle? Um, and I think this season was really about Villanelle's progression, maybe, so as to enable them to be together in season four. But Sandra Oh, especially in mm-hmm. some of those early, the the um, was it the second episode where she's drunk Eve and it's a little bit sad and all that. But when she's leaving the, the, the wake, I guess it is, and she gives... That little wave, that might be my the singular most favorite moment of this entire season to me. I'm just kind of like, that was so awesome. Sandra O's acting was so amazing in those portions, and it's kind of, she didn't have necessarily as much screen time, but when she was on screen, it was really, really good this season. I felt like they didn't give her enough um, meat last season necessarily, so, so for her this season to have, um, I don't know, just... I, Quality over quantity, maybe, mm-hmm. I guess. Is that too trite to say? But yeah, that that, that was hilarious. I still laugh <laughs> when I think about that little wave. Yeah, that, that the up. subtlety in their acting, both both of them, both Sandra and Jody, is yes. so impressive yes. and infuriating as an actor to watch and be like, how do you do this? I don't understand. And they're both actors who have been professionally acting for like, what, like 15 or 20 years, Jody, since she was a little kid. But it's so, it adds so much depth to this show. Mm-hmm. I read um, that they, they uh, Sandra was cast pretty early on. And then Jody, I think there had been like a hundred other people auditioned for the Villanelle character, right? And so um, I, I think every single person that watches this show thinks there could not be anybody else play Villanelle. And I think that's the gospel truth right there but I mean for a hundred people to and then all of a sudden she and Sandra do the reading of that the kitchen scene and um and Sandra you know all of the interviews and all of the award shows and all, she's just so generous and gracious and they both they clearly have an affection for one another which comes through so much and I think that helps them do those subtle things you're talking about like the little nuances of their expression and their faces because they know each other and like each other and respect each other that much that it just looks like they're real people in real life. 100%. All right. I think that brings us brings us to the end. Kelly, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, absolutely. Thanks for having me. I know uh, you'll probably have to edit out. Half of my <laughs> random, but, uh. Oh, I, I don't have the time or energy to do that. We will talk soon. See you on the Facebook group. Bye-bye. This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. Sonar. I don't know. I don't know how to wrap this up because I haven't decided I, how I'm editing this. Can I this. say yes, thank you please. for joining. Thank you for joining the wrap up. Please don't kill anyone. Bam, bam, bam.